Amen, Crossing family. It is so good to be with each and every single one of you this week. Before I get into the message, I have an unimportant announcement. At 39 years and a half of age, 285 pounds, six foot six, father of three, husband of one. I dunked at 10 feet this week. Yeah, I dunked a basketball on a 10 feet rim. And the fact, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, You've never had a senior pastor who could dunk. So this is a big moment for all of us. Uh, I'm joking. Anyhow, it really was. It's, it's, a, it's an issue how excited I am about that because my kids saw it, which means they'll remember it. And then I went back out after I uh, ate like a two pieces of KFC chicken and uh, dunked again so I could get it on video so I could remind them that their dad's cooler than them. That being said... I want to welcome you all to our brand new sermon series to week one of Weeds in My Garden, a sermon series about being honest about mental health. And I want to welcome you joining from all of our different locations, those of you watching online and inside. I am so glad that you are with us today. I want you to know that God loves you and this church loves you. And if you are new to The Crossing, right on the front end of this message, feel free to take out your phone and scan that QR code on the seat in front of you and raise your hand and just say, hey, I'm, I'm here. Um, there's different ways for you to connect to our church or if you want, before you leave, connect with one of our campus pastors, staff members, or incredible difference makers. During the pandemic, I was regularly on a Zoom call with pastors across the country and one of the Zoom calls that I was in was hosted by the Solomon Foundation, our dear partners in ministry. And the president or the CEO of TSF, Doug Crozier, when the pandemic started, the very first thing he did was he put on retainer a counselor by the name of Dr. Wes Beavis. And during the pandemic, every single week when we would have those Zoom calls, at the end of the Zoom call, Dr. Wes would give everybody on the call some mental health tips. He would give everybody on the call a little bit of hope and a little bit of help. And then I began reading reports on mental health issues that were on the rise in pastors across the country. And then I came across this statistic that in the last 12 months, 38% of pastors had contemplated quitting the ministry, citing mental health issues. And I was going, if pastors, I'm not saying we're the most spiritual people, but if pastors who should have a pretty decent relationship with Jesus probably have a pretty decent amount of faith, if pastors are struggling with mental health issues at an alarming rate, what is it like for other people? Recently, Ben Kacharis, the lead minister of Mountain Christian Church, wrote in the Christian Standard these words, we have a problem. Emotional well-being is in serious decline. It is a palpable crisis that was bad before the pandemic. The isolation, the social upheaval, polarization, and massive changes with work, school, and life have exacerbated the crisis, creating an extended ambiguity and heightened stress that is a perfect cocktail for burnout and emotional struggle. No wonder the World Health Organization's recent scientific brief states that the global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased 25% since the pandemic's early arrival in 2020. 
Recent surveys reveal a radical downturn in attitudes and soaring levels of anxiety and worry on all fronts. Hear me. Anxiety is now the number one issue for women. And it's number two for men. Behind alcohol and drugs for men. Which may be because they, men aren't going to say that they're anxious. They're just going to simply hide it or mask it behind weed, booze, or something worse. Mental disorders are now the leading cause of disability worldwide. According to a 2014 article in the International Journal of Epidemiology, there, such disorders now affect one in five adults, and the percentage is growing. Generation Z, those born between 1999 and 2015, Raise your hand if you have a kid or grandkid in that age bracket. Is the most stressed out generation ever. In recent years, the share of high school students who say they experience persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, the highest level of sadness ever recorded. So almost half of our kids feel hopeless. And 50% of parents of teens, raise your hand if you're a parent of a teen, report worsened or new mental health problems in their teens since the beginning of the pandemic. Most times it's depression and anxiety. Many children and young adults are fearful, sad, and struggling with life. As a result, suicide has become an epidemic. It is now the second leading cause of death for young people between the ages of 10 and 24. Eventually, I got to the point where I was compelled for us as a church to speak about this growing issue. And I started to put the weeks together and then I realized that we'd be looking at like 12 weeks of sermons. And I got pretty uneasy. It's a big commitment on an incredibly touchy subject matter. And I did not have a sense of peace about it at all. In fact, I was extremely nervous. Would people leave this church during this sermon series because they're like, this is not my jam? Uh, would people get frustrated because they felt like we were just giving lip service to real issues that they were navigating? Can Jerry and I talk about these things and actually provide hope when we're not counselors or therapists? What is it going to do to the influx of ministry at our church and we're not even necessarily prepared to handle it? Say the least, I was becoming a bit of a head case about a sermon series about mental health, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So I uh, went away on a conference with Jennifer and Jerry and Allison, and we hung out on the beach for a couple of days while we were there at the conference, and I just kind of let myself forget about it. And then I came back, and you know how it is when you get back from a trip, you start to feel the weight of everything that you left behind. And so my kids are in bed, I get into my office late at night, and I just start cranking 
on this sermon series and I get more and more agitated and more and more frustrated. And so I just get up, turn off the lights and I, with a, you know, angry Clayton version of myself, I go into bed uh, or go into my bedroom, I get ready for bed, I pull the covers up and I do something I almost never do. I hopped on Instagram and started just scrolling through, you know, Stupidville, you guys have done that, but I almost never do it. And like three scrolls in, I found this video and I watched it and I watched it again and I watched it again and I watched it again and then I said, Jennifer, put down your crocheting needles, needles and uh, watch this. I know, she's super cool. And uh, I'm like, you have to watch this and then she watched it and then I watched it again. And by the time I was done watching this video, uh, my, ex my, my frustration was replaced with excitement and my fear was replaced with peace. And that is how this sermon series was born. Here is the video. This song is called Being Honest. I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. That I was a fighter. I'm still in the fire. not wanting to preach that sermon to wanting to preach that sermon that night. And I was all in. I was sharing this with our media team and they actually tracked her down. We brought her up to our church a couple of weeks ago, had her spend the weekend with us. She did some songwriting with our, uh, with our, with our worship team. We got to go out for dinner and hear a little bit more of her story. Found out that she was actually on the 17th season of NBC's The Voice and was on team uh, Gwen Stefani. And then on a Sunday, while I was preaching about help, she uh, was actually at our multi-site offices recording a testimony video about what God had been doing in her life and what actually was the events that were surrounding her life on the day that she wrote this song. And I wanted to take a little bit of time and give you a chance to hear her story. My name is Kendall Inskeep. Um, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm a singer-songwriter for Warner Chapel and Crime Music. There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain that is deep-rooted in my story. Ended up kind of rebelling when I was a late teenager. I was so angry at God. I knew he was there, but I had never had a relationship with him. I was at the point in my life where I did not want to be here anymore. My family, I hadn't talked to them in probably a year. They were like, okay, you need help. So I went to a facility for two months and I started journaling to Jesus. And I had read this journal entry to one of my friends and I read her this journal entry. We prayed about it. We asked Jesus to just remove this from Kindle. And I felt this overwhelming peace and joy. 
that is the day that Jesus met me where I was. Songhouse is this collaborative workshop for TikTok, Instagram, social media platforms. Um, the founder is Tyler Ward. We all go into this loft on Wednesdays and Saturdays. We're paired into random groups and we have 30 minutes to write a pre-chorus and a chorus. So the day we wrote Honest, I was just getting out of a really bad funk and my passions and my desire to do the things that I love just kind of were just depleted. I felt defeated. And so I called Tyler that day and I was like, I'm not coming in. I'm, I'm not gonna write anything good. Just totally align the enemy to get to me. And he's like, Kendall, you're gonna put two feet on the ground. You're gonna get your butt up and you're gonna come into Songhouse today. So I get there. We have a round or whatever. I asked him to leave again. Like I'm crying every 10 seconds. Like I'm just like a mess. But messes become messages, you know? He's like, no, you're staying. And then we get into the room and we're all going through the same thing in different ways. And the concept was honesty. And we're like, what if we're being honest about not being honest with ourselves? And it was like, boom. And we wrote this song in like, I'm not even kidding, probably 15 minutes. That raw emotion that you might see in the video, that was, exactly how I was feeling that day. Turns out, a lot of other people were feeling that way too. I think, you know, one of the lines that everybody tends to go to is the, I'll give you roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. It made me stop in my tracks because it was like, if you can't even be honest with yourself, how are you being honest with the Lord? So that's not very authentic to our relationship. And how are you going to be able to fix me if I don't even give you those pieces. And so it was a moment of surrender. To anybody going through a season of defeat, allow yourself to feel it, but do not allow, you, allow that specific pain or suffering to determine your future. Your pain will be turned into something beautiful. Your weeds will be turned into roses at some point. So keep faith in that and know that because she or he who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises is blessed. That's an incredible story. So here's one of the things that I've been wondering if we as a church could relate to the lyrics that were written that night. Let me run you through them. I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. I thought I was a fighter, I'm still in the fire. I wonder how many people in our church, but if I'm being honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm at my darkest. I'm sitting here waiting and praying for someone to show me what love is. I'm just being honest. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who call the crossing home and watch online 
could identify with the lyrics of that song. If you are being honest, you're not being honest. So we did a survey, and almost 2,000 of you responded. 24% were male, and 76% were female. This didn't bother me or surprise me. Uh, men, don't tap out on this sermon series. Don't you dare. Because if you like women, and I'm a huge fan, <laughs> chances are a woman birthed you, married you, or you will hope will marry you one day. Listen to me. You have a biblical obligation to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. And you need to be prepared to provide hope, to provide help. Hear me, it means that your daughter or granddaughter or sister may very well be struggling. There might be some of you who are going, Clayton, this is a sermon series just for younger people. Uh, you could be right if we hadn't done a survey because this is how you guys answered. 10 to 19, 8%. If you're in your 20s, 18%. In your 30s, 26%. 40s, 20%. 50s, 15%. 60s, 10%. This gets a little skewed because, you know, the whole thing was online, and I don't know how much to trust you 70 and olders, but God love you. We're so thankful you're part of the church. <laughs> I mean it. Listen, we had an 8-year-old and an 80-year-old fill out this survey. Pretty crazy. Average age, 40. So what is our church struggling with? How did you guys answer? What's going on in the hearts and the minds of people that you serve with, are in life group with, sing next to, sit next to at church, greet as they're walking in, and you say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And they hand you roses. Because if they are being honest, they're not being honest. Because this is what's going on in our church. Only 6% of the people filled out this survey said none. None of these things are affecting them. They're hunky-dory. 82% of us are dealing with anxiety and worry. 71% of us are burnt out and stressed out. 48% of us are dealing with depression. That number would have gone higher if we'd have used keywords like you're experiencing seasons of sadness. Self-esteem issues, 51%. Suicide and self-harm is at 9%. Trauma, this number's artificially low, is at 19%. At your campus, Chances are there are 10 people in your row. One of them is struggling with suicide and self-harm. And you asked them, how are you doing? And they gave you roses. I showed the video of Kendall to the worship team. And Amanda Walbrink, our, our worship leader at our 929 campus, and she serves in our preschool here at our 48th Street campus. She said, I am amazed at how much our people are able to keep hidden. 
If our church was being honest, we are not being honest. We're giving each other roses, just hoping you don't see the weeds in our garden. This sermon series is going to be similar to a 11-chapter book. This is, I guess, technically chapter one. This is the intro. And you're going to have to go on this entire journey for the series or the book to make sense. And you're going to need each chapter because the chapters are going to build on one another. The next three weeks, we are going to attack and address three lies that we tend to believe and three truths that God wants to speak into every heart. Once we have built that platform, we are going to spend five weeks talking about very specific issues. And every single one of you will need to be a part of it because there are people that you love that are going through a very specific issue. And I want you as a Jesus follower to be there to provide help and hope. And some of you, you are dealing with that specific issue. And I want you here experiencing the hope and able to receive that help. Then we are going to bring in for two weeks Dr. Wes Beavis. And he is going to be on our stage, and I can tell you, he is going to be an absolute delight for absolutely every single person that, that comes and every single person that you bring for those two weekends. He is an unbelievably gifted communicator and is able to take complex things and make them simple and actionable. And then we're going to finish up the sermon series with Hope Weekend. Now, as we're getting ready to start this sermon series, there are some principles that I want to guide us. And this first principle is uh, for those of you who deal with uh, mental illnesses or if you are a person who loves somebody who's dealing with mental illnesses, is I want you to avoid being narrow-minded in your view about mental health issues. We need to destigmatize mental health because people will never start being honest if they're worried about being judged and being ashamed. When we talk about mental health issues, we can become incredibly narrow-minded, and perhaps the most narrow-minded group of people are Christians. Because mental health issues flow from four buckets. Imagine there are four big buckets. The first one is situational. It's just life. You're going through and stuff just happens, and that can have an impact on you. Some of it is biological. It's how you're hardwired. It's how you were put together by God and in a fallen world. There are some of you, biologically, you have a really great metabolism. And God loves you, but I don't. And so you are able to navigate a cheeseburger drastically different than people who don't have that kind of metabolism. You were hardwired built differently. And so there are going to be biological issues at play at times in your wrestling through mental health issues. Some of them, some of them are going to be clinical, medical. You're going to need someone to help you process and sift and navigate and treat and diagnose and prescribe, and some of them are spiritual. 
what can happen is you can go, man, I'm feeling this way. And you can come to a really well-meaning person like me. And which bucket do you think I'm trained to navigate? The spiritual one. And so you come in and you go, what's going on? And what do you think all of my advice is gonna center around? Spiritual issues. What if it's not spiritual? You come into my office and I go, well, you should just need to pray more. You just need to have more faith. And well-meaning good Christians can give absolutely horrible advice. Because you've never rung me up. Said, Clayton, I woke up this morning with a rash. What do you think I should do? Never got that call. Pray more. Rashy? How come? Nobody calls up the church. Hey, uh, having issues with my kidneys. Should I come to your office or should I go get dialysis? Have you noticed that nobody gets frustrated when a person is going to get dialysis? And going, where's your faith? Are you reading your Bible enough? Nobody says that. But a different organ in your body is giving you a run for your money. And instead of going, maybe it's situational. And instead of going, maybe it's biological and maybe it's clinical or medical. We go, it's spiritual. And accidentally, as well-meaning, good Christian people, we can start driving a wedge in their relationship with God when they are going to need to cling to him the hardest. They're not just dealing with mental shame. Now they're dealing with spiritual shame. And at the same time, there are perhaps some of you listening to this message and you are trying to medically treat an issue that you need to repent of. That there is actually a sin that is driving your, your challenges. And no counselor in the world and no medicine is going to undo the fact that there is an area of your life where you are wrestling with either a lack of faith or an unrepented sin. So how do you navigate it? I like to think of it as um, going to the Lake of the Ozarks and being out on the lake. Hopefully most of you have been in the water before. That's not a pool. And you decide to go out and you decide to sit in the water and just have a blast. And all of a sudden these waves start hitting you. And some of the waves are because boats are driving way too close and your brother's on the jet ski and he keeps trying to splash you. And that is trauma that is happening to you. Others of you, you're getting hit by waves, and the waves that are hitting you are not from other people. It's just life. The wind blows. And some of us are picking up really big rocks and throwing them into the water right next to us and going, where are these waves coming from? And then some of us grew up on different parts of the lake. Some of us grew up in the no-wake zone. 
And some of us grew up on the point. If you grew up on the point, all you've ever known is waves. You don't go out for a swim. You don't put out one of those really nice expensive mats where you can just lay on the water but not get in the water. You can't. It's, there's too many waves. And some of you, if you grew up on the point, and all you've ever known is the waves, inside of you, it built up some incredible resilience. You can navigate a lot of what life throws at you because you've been navigating life your whole life. But in some people, it's created an entire life where they have not experienced peace. They don't even know what calm waters are like. And then you go over and you hang out with somebody who's grown up in the no-wake zone, and they're experiencing waves for the first time, and they're not necessarily sure how to handle it. Think of it this way. Some of us as parents, we grew up on the point. And then we have that desire inside of us to give our kids the, a better life than we have. How many of you guys have that desire? And you will be talking to your kids, and they will be complaining about how bad their life is. And then you're like, oh, shut up, kid. If what you, what you call a Tuesday, I called vacation, right? Because inside of us, all of us as parents have decided that we want to move our kids from the point into the no-wake zone, which could impact on some level how they navigate the challenges of life. And I know the older generation likes to talk about how, you know, well, it's just, it's, it's, it was never their generation. It's always been the younger generation. Yeah, be careful about that because I also hear a lot of the older generation talk about the fact that dad was uh, distant and lacked emotion and drunk all the time. Uh, he might have struggled with the exact same stuff that you're struggling with. He just wasn't going to talk about it. He was just going to drink about it. The privileges that we've given could impact our level of resilience or the level of resilience in our kids. Second thing I want to talk to you guys about. Do not underestimate the value of community. We have become so busy that we don't have time for the very things that could have a massive effect on our mental health. For instance, studies show that people who attend church regularly have a decrease in mental health concerns. I've said this before. As a staff, we want good things for you, not from you. We exist to serve God and serve others. And when we say it is good for you to come to church and be around other people and worship God and that it has a positive effect on you at a chemical and spiritual and psychological level, we mean it. And those of you watching online, you do not share the same benefits. In fact, Satan can dupe you into thinking that you're getting the help you need when he's actually keeping you isolated. Furthermore, we can become so busy in our relationships that we are no longer in meaningful relationships. When you were put together by God, you were made for community, for people to come alongside of you, journey with you through challenging seasons, give you perspective, and provide you with care. The problem is, is we can end up in shallow online relationships and become too busy to invest in the people that used to care about us that when we fall down, there is no one to pick us up. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, Ecclesiastes 4. 
Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. The Bible has this command in Galatians to carry one another's burdens. The problem is if you are not invested in relationships, when Satan strikes or mental illnesses strike, you can find yourself alone and isolated and vulnerable. And then you're going to try and start your relationships. And have you ever noticed it's really hard to start your relationships with an I want list? The biblical command is not to pass off your burdens to other people. The biblical command is to carry one another's burdens. That you enter into relationship not with an I want list, but with an I'll take list. You come alongside people and say, how can I help? I care about you. I value you. I want to serve you. And in that community of relationships is built up an internal, spiritual safety net for you. When mental illness, illness or Satan strike. Next thing, hear me, watch your intake. Fill your hearts and your minds with what Paul would say in Philippians are praiseworthy and excellent things. Make sure you are spending time in your word and be careful about your social media intake. Hear me, everything in life is spiritual on some level. And if you're not allowing the word of God and the truth of God to fill your life up, you are building your life on a sandy foundation. And when the winds of mental illness blow and the waves come crashing, I preached about this a while back. The facts are in. Social media does not improve your mental health. It makes it worse, period. If you're going, I'm addicted and I have to be on there, be very careful about how long you are on and who you follow. Because social media is excellent at two things. Depression and anxiety. You might be going, but Clayton, how come your church is always posting stuff on social media? Because we're trying to reach people who are on social media, which is everybody. But if you were to ask me to wave my magic Harry Potter wand, here is what I would wish for. People to find our church online and get off. That's that's it in a nutshell. I want you to find our church online, find a sermon series online, get invited online, show up for church, and then eventually peel yourself off. I mean it. <laughs> I mean it. It's like having a pet bear. Like it's cute and eventually it, it eats you. And you're like, I don't want to have a tough conversation with my kid about how big the bear's getting because, I mean, she loves the bear. I'm like, yeah, and the bear's looking pretty stinking hungry. Got to be honest with you. It's going to eat somebody. That might be a little bit too redneck for you, but it's honest. Okay, listen to me, next one. Here at the crossing, it is okay to not be okay. The thrust of the gospel message is that Jesus came to a broken and fallen world. Jesus came to heal and save, and that means that people that look just like us are broken and in peril. It is the sick that need a doctor, and that is why the doctor came. 
Jesus came for all of the areas of your life that you are not being honest about. He sees it and he cares about it. And what we as a church need to do is we need to create a safe space for people to be honest. How many of you have been in a situation where you wish somebody would have been honest with you? Oh my goodness, I hear this all the time. Well, I just wish you would just call me up and tell me. I wish she would just tell me what's on her mind. I can't believe she's going through that. Why didn't she call and let me know? I wish that they would just be honest with me about what they're going through. We have this incredibly high standard of honesty for everybody else but ourself. Right? You want everybody else to tell you what they're wrestling with, but when was the last time you popped off about what you were wrestling with? Sometimes the very best way to give people hope is to say, me too. I wrestle too. I struggle too. Weird verse in the Bible. Jesus calls it the second greatest commandment. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You and I have a God-ordained mission to love people the way we wish we were loved. If you were wrestling with a mental health issue, how would you want people to come alongside of you? That's your marching order. Listening, loving, caring, encouraging, gently coaching, prodding, going, with you as you try to figure out how to navigate these things. And one of the lies that Satan will try to tell you in the middle of all this is that the church is not a safe place. And what I want to tell you is there may have been church people that have not been a safe space for you, but the church has never let you down because the church is the bride of Christ. It is not a building. It is a group of people who believe that God can change anything. And you should be able to go to any God-fearing, serious Christian and be honest about what you're going through, and they should be prepared to go through it with you. Now hear me. You might be tempted to say, but uh, Jesus can't even figure out what I'm going through. And I love it when people say well-meaning wrong things. Because it makes the truth so beautiful. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And you're going, no way, Clayton. There's no way Jesus is going through what I'm going through. All right, all right. Eric Raymond says it this way. Jesus was homeless, Matthew chapter 8. His family thought he was crazy. How many of you, your parents have ever thought you were crazy? Yeah, Jesus has been there. Uh, that's Matthew chapter 12, Mark 3, and John 7. His best friends turned their back on him. That's Matthew 26. His closest friends sold him to be killed for money. You haven't even been through that. That's Matthew 26. He stood face to face with the devil and endured all of his demonic tricks. That's Luke 4. You might be going, but Satan's really taking it out on me. Not harder than Jesus. He dealt with death, John chapter 11. He endured gossip and slander. How many of you ever get frustrated with what people are saying about you? How many of you, the reason you're not being honest is because you don't want people to talk about you? Jesus went through that. Matthew chapter 4, John chapter 8. He endured suffering for righteousness sake, John 15. He was shamed publicly, Mark 14. The reason I'm not being honest is because the last time I was honest, 
People made a mockery of me. Jesus is like, I get it. Yeah, I was there. He endured periods of hunger, Mark chapter 11. He received criticism of his ministry. Couldn't do anything right. That's John 5, Matthew 12. We've been there. His theology was mocked. Pick a verse. His message was rejected. Pick a verse. His preaching was critiqued. His preaching. I mean, you think mine's bad. Mine gets critiqued. Can you imagine critiquing his? That's Luke 4. And his disciples didn't get him. His closest friends didn't understand. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. But how many of you are going, oh, yeah, that's me too. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Crossing family at all of our locations, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and go through whatever you are going through with you. But it'll never happen if we're not going to be honest about being honest. We're moving to a time of decision. So uh, this doesn't always happen, but it hap it's happening this weekend. As I get the privilege of landing the plane at all of our locations. And so wherever you are watching from, I am so glad that I get this moment with you for just a second. At the beginning of the year, when I was casting vision for our church, I preached a sermon series called, There Has to Be a Place. And if I was going to pick my biggest regret so far this year is that one of my sermons wasn't, there has to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. So stay tuned. But what I want you to hear me say is if you are at one of our locations and if you were being honest, you're not okay, I want you to know that this place is for you. It is filled with some of the very best people I know on planet Earth. I want you to know that you are not alone. You saw the statistics. People who are sitting next to you are wrestling with the very same thing that you're wrestling with. And you have already made a fantastic decision by being a part of a church service this weekend. And what I want to tell you is that while Jesus may not fix every issue you face here on earth, he will eventually fix it all if you are in an intimate personal relationship with him. And if you have never started that intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't turned over the lordship of your life, you don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance when it comes to pay for your sins, and you don't stand a chance when it comes to fight Satan and his demons, and you don't stand a chance when it comes to fight the war that is taking place in your mind. It also means that you don't stand a chance to love the people in your life that are hurting and broken and depressed and anxious and worried because the help and the hope that they need and the strength that you are going to need to walk through those moments you will not have 
unless you are in that relationship with Jesus Christ and he gives you the power of his Holy Spirit. So if you have questions about what it means to start an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a campus pastor or staff member or difference maker at all of our locations. And when the people around you stand and start singing, you can go by where the baptistry is at your location and you can have that conversation. And I wanna tell you, don't put it off. And to those of you at all of our different locations who are struggling and you have your faith and you're trying to figure out how are you gonna navigate tomorrow and if you were being honest, you don't have the energy to take care of dinner tonight and you don't have enough energy to get up for work tomorrow and if you are just being honest, you're just hanging on. I wanna let you know you can let go because Jesus never will. He will hold you when you can't hold yourself. Just don't quit on him. Don't stop. Don't walk away from him. If some church people said some stuff that twisted you up, that's just dumb church people. And one of these days you'll be a dumb church person too and you'll want some grace. People may have let you down, but Jesus never has. And while it's not the only solution, it is a great solution to regularly get down on your knees and pray to God and beg him for help. And the Bible says that he is a good gift giver. And if a kid asks for a fish, he does, a good father doesn't give him a snake. And if you come to your heavenly father and say, I'm wrestling and I'm sad and I'm hurting and I'm broken, and I can't even articulate all that I'm going through, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf with words and groans that no one can understand. And he intercedes directly to the Father. And if you're going, you know what, I just need to get down on my knees and just kind of recenter myself around Jesus and his cross and his love, I want to encourage you to do that. And if you're a person in our church who loves people who are going through something, I want to challenge you to spend some time, whether you do it in the back of the auditorium at the front, whether you do it over by the baptistry and put your hand in the water, or you, you get down on your knee right where you're at and whatever row you're in. I want you to get down on your knee and say, God, use me to love the people that are hurting around me. God, help me to be the kind of person who creates space where people can be open and honest. And God, give me words and wisdom to love them and care for them the way you would have me to. Because this world needs a place like that. And this church could be it. Would you join with me in prayer? Would you stand up? God, use this time right now at all of our locations to do a mighty and miraculous work. Start it. God, I'm not asking you to take all the ground. Just take some of it. God, leave no doubt in every mind, in every heart, all across this region that you're alive, that you're real, that you have hope and help to offer. In your name I pray, amen.